1: Happy New Year. This is Robert Glazer, author of Friday Forward, Inspiration and Motivation to End Your Week Stronger Than It Started, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's
0: your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener, so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today we welcome Robert Glazer back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book Friday Forward, inspiration and motivation to end your week stronger than it started, published by Simple Truths, an imprint of source books. Robert Glazer is an international keynote speaker and founder and CEO of the Boston-based global marketing agency Acceleration Partners. He is the author of several books, including the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller Elevate, Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself, and the international bestseller Performance Partnerships, The Checkered Past, Changing Present, and Exciting Future of Affiliate Marketing which was episode 264 of the Marketing Book Podcast in what seems like 10 years ago in January of 2020. Bob is a regular contributor to Entrepreneur, Forbes, and Inc., to name just a few. And his inspirational Friday Forward posts are read by over 200,000 business leaders across 60 countries, over 60 countries each week. He is also the host of the popular podcast, Elevate with Robert Glazer, where he chats with CEOs, authors, thinkers, and top performers about the keys to achieving at a high level, which explains why the host of the Marketing Book Podcast will never be a guest on that show. And interesting fact, the legendary radio shock jock and self-proclaimed king of all media, Howard Stern, attended Bob's Bar Mitzvah. Bob, congratulations on Friday Forward, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Thank you, Douglas. The longest, the longest year of uh, stretch of <laughs> of my life. Uh, yeah, we, we were we were talking before saying that was in January. You know, I was thinking that that felt no more than ten ten years ago. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, that's right. And uh, so, is Howard Stern going to interview you about uh, this book? He
1: he, he is not. Um, you know, he's he's. I, I lost that relationship through his his divorce. Since since the, the 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 relationship is actually to Allison.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Well, you know, you're still cool in my book for having. I have a picture Howard Stern at your uh, bar mitzvah. So when this episode publishes. It will be on the first Friday of the year 2021. And this book is a bit of a departure from the types of marketing and sales books on the show. But after what we've endured in the year 2020, we all need some inspiration for this new year, I would argue, more than ever. So I appreciate you returning to the show, Bob.
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me.
0: Well, let me quote from the beginning of the book and we're going to go from there. This all started with a simple change I wanted to introduce into my life, improving my morning routine. On the heels of a transformational leadership training program, I resolved to get up earlier and dedicate some time to quiet thinking, writing and reading something inspiring or positive to start my day. This is not as easy a task as it should be in today's world. Many of us begin our mornings reactively and negatively with crisis-driven news programming, social media apps vying for our attention, or a pile of emails about problems that occurred overnight. This type of morning can make it feel like the day is lost before it's even started. The problem was, I hadn't found anything inspirational that really resonated with me. A lot of the quote books and other recommended readings and inspiration were a little too rainbow and unicorny for me, <laughs> so Bob, take it from there and tell us what happened.
1: Yeah, so so, but I, I'll tell you the, the the story. But the you know, it's interesting. I mean, I wrote that clearly before 2020. Uh, the book was finished, uh, even though it came out this year. But I mean, I can't think of like there's nothing you could have turned on the news this year, and and it, it was anything positive or inspiring, you know, from going from COVID to race riots to election stuff. I mean, it's it yeah, it, it's 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 funny how that that was true. Well, uh, okay. yeah, so
0: add to that, yeah. it is true. and that's why this year, as a coping mechanism, we're all going. Trust yeah. me, I, you and I are both in a line of work where we can. Work remotely more easily than others, so we've got a lot to be grateful for, and and gratitude is something you do talk about in your book. But it's also why my news diet has plummeted this year.
1: <laughs> yeah everyone everyone who's gotten off Facebook or stopped. I mean, I haven't I haven't really been on social media, but I've heard it's just absolutely atrocious. Like just yeah. the fighting and the war. It's there's nothing good that comes out of it. Um, so uh, yeah, so I you know, what I did was I just started this note uh, to my team. I think it was called Friday Inspiration. I changed the name three or four times because I'm an entrepreneur. And I just, I took a story or a quote or something from a company and I just, you know, I shared it with people as a way to, you know, inspiration is different from motivation. I think that you got to motivate yourself. Other people can't motivate you, but there are, there are things that can, you know, help change your perspective or give you different ideas. And I just, I found and had some of those stories and quotes and stuff that I liked. And I put it together and I sent it into a note each week. And uh, I
0: really well, didn't... Your own employees, right?
1: Yeah, it's 40 employees. And I didn't think anyone was reading it, but I enjoyed writing it. <laughs> so it was kind of like I was doing the journaling thing too. So I was combining it. You know, right. Writing actually, you know, it helps you clarify your own thoughts on things. Um, So I'd pick an issue, I'd dive into it, I'd send it to people. And then, you know, five or six weeks later, I do start getting replies and people said, you know, I really enjoy this. Or I went and signed up for a 5k after I read, you know, your note on that goal setting thing or otherwise. And and then a couple people, you know, I I sent this to my husband and he shared it with his team, or I sent this to my sister. and, And it was clear that it was sort of getting outside the company. And I was at an event with a bunch of entrepreneurs uh, a couple weeks later, and we were talking about best practices. And I said, "Look, I've been writing this note to my team. People seem to it seems to resonate well with them and create some connection. It's not about work." And uh, they said, oh, "I said I I really recommend it." And they said, well, send it to us." So I threw them on the list, and you know, a couple wrote back. Like one started his own and was still doing it. I think five or six years later. The other said, "This is great. We'll just send this to our teams." Uh, and and so at that point, I was like. I, maybe this has value outside and people were asking me to add people to it. And I, I was all BCC. So I set up a very simple email service, trying to make it look like a text email, but where people could sign up. Um, and I created sort of an archive of the old ones. Cause people would ask me about one that was in like my sent uh, email. And so I started putting them on the page and I called it Friday forward cause people were forwarding it. And I threw a couple hundred friends and family on it. And I expected like, what the hell is this? Unsubscribe. But I, I got the same nice feedback notes. People saying I share this. Someone a little bit later wrote an article in Inc. saying this is the only newsletter that I read every week. Oh. And uh, you know, a couple people, thousand people signed up uh, in, in a few days after that. And then it just started to take on a, a life of its own.
0: Now, what year was it? Uh, well, this was a couple of years ago that you. Started,
1: this right? is like five years now. Yeah. Okay,
0: okay. and I also read an article you posted on LinkedIn about what were some of the challenges that you encountered getting this book published?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, no. I, so, so after a year or two of, of, of writing these things uh, I was like, this is people like this, this is good. So I went to a bunch of publishers and they all said, you know, we, we, uh, we wrote um, uh, we like your writing, um, but uh, publishers won't publish compilation books. And I heard that sort of two or three times. And um, you know, first first time book. And I was like, but I have all these like I have this built-in audience, <laughs> people seem to like this. And I think, you know, I think kind of putting these things together into a book would really have value. And people are like, oh, but the stories are out there. And I'm like, but half the people haven't read them based on the growth. So I I got a lot of nose. Um I, I then was talking to an agent who, who said, uh Rick Pascatulo, who said, you know what? Everything these guys said is true, or uh, girls. and But I, I love your writing. I think there's kind of a deeper story here. Like, what's the story of these Friday Fords? And so I started trying to figure out, like, what was it about Friday Ford that had sort of changed my life, that was making an impact on all these strangers? What, what Our company was growing a lot since I started it. Like, what, what were the sort of common principles that led me to this concept in this framework of capacity building, which actually turned into uh, my first non-marketing book, which was Elevate, mm-hmm. which, which used principles from Friday forward and, and some like the thematic aspects and sort of rolled it into how do you build your capacity? And that's what these stories were doing. They were helping people build their capacity. And that book actually had uh, great success, the USA Today and, and Wall Street Journal bestseller. And, you know, I, and I continued to grow the list and it was over a hundred thousand and I had now 300,000 on, on LinkedIn. And so at that point I had a little more credibility and platform and I went back to the publisher who published it and I said, you know, I still want to publish the Friday forward book, these stories, but I I have an idea now, now organize the 52 best stories, the ones that have had the most kind of resonated most with readers and I'll organize them across the capacity building elements. So there that go. Yeah. If, if 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 so someone who wanted the, you know, stories as the inspiration, or someone who wanted the framework, you could have one or the other or, or, or both. So so that was the tie and I went back and basically dusted off and and rewrote the book that had been you know, outright rejected uh, four years ago, and um, yeah, it's funny how many people say I, I you know, I, I follow Friday Ford, I read it, but I, I, li- I liked having it as a book. I always vis- I always envisioned it as more as this journal thing on a night table. Like it's not necessarily a book you read cover to cover. It's not. There's no sequential nature between the posts, other than them being in certain themes. It's kind of like a little dose when you want to dig in and you know, not read rainbows and unicorn quotes, but Kind of a story that might set some perspective, or I, as I said, I, I think in the book or in one of the things, like I, I feel like I'm the I'm not the creator of these stories, but I'm sort of the curator of these stories,
0: right? And you know, the other thing that occurred to me as I read this, and I'm one of the few that <laughs> read it straight through, some have, uh, which <laughs> I hope that's okay. But this was emblematic of so many great content stories where you you just start out and you find your audience. And you get feedback from your audience, and it gets better and better. It's like machine learning almost. And there was a book on the show a couple years ago by Joe Polizzi called Content Inc. And it was about these companies that actually started out building an audience before they knew exactly what their product was. And that is exactly... uh, I would argue it's it's very much what happened here, and you had started in one direction, and then you got some more feedback, and then it's almost like the time wasn't quite right. So you mentioned capacity building. Can you explain more uh, what capacity building is, and then we'll get into these uh, you know four areas that uh, by which you organize the book.
1: Yeah. So, capacity building, uh, I believe, is actually just – it's the method by which you get better. Um, um, So, I think that's the short definition. The long definition is the method by which individuals seek, acquire, and develop the skills and ability to consistently perform at a high level in pursuit of their innate potential. And I think their innate potential is key. I think a lot of achievement and success in life is sort of external pressures – um, on us. So there's there's really four elements to it. And if you think of these as like four quadrants of a ball, and if they're all sort of chambers are filled and are expanding, like you're going to have good momentum and mass. And if it gets out of whack, it's going to, you know, bounce all around the place. So it it starts with spiritual capacity, which which is not religious, but it's about understanding kind of who you are, what you want, and the standards you want to live by. That's really, for most people, is their core value, core values. Intellectual capacity is how you improve your ability to think, learn, plan, and execute with discipline. So, things like having a growth mindset, being proactive, setting short and long-term goals, establishing routine and habits and accountability. Uh, Physical capacity is your health, well-being, and physical performance. And emotional capacity is how you react to challenging situations your emotional mindset and sort of the quality of relationships um, i would say like that's the hardest one for people the first three are sort of you know uh, about them uh, the last one is really about how you interact with the world and And so if I use my my race car analogy is if you're building a race car, spiritual capacity would be sort of designing it like what you want. Intellectual would be building it. Physical would be sort of testing it on the test track. And then emotional would be like, how does this thing do when you put it out there with other cars driving 200 miles an hour? Because it could perform far above or far below the the, the specs.
0: Mm. Well, let's get into those four areas with a little more depth. But before we do, I want to step back and, and, and ask you about something that really resonated with me. And, you know, is, I've, in life, I've learned it's very true. And explain what you mean when you write that growth comes from being pushed into the area uh, of discomfort, where we challenge our assumptions and our what you call our self-imposed limitations.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I almost think it's a truism. Like, literally, you know, normally when you grow, you're growing outside of yourself, you know, physically as a kid. Like, you, you almost – by the nature, you can't grow if you're doing the same thing. And so, to do something different or new is is usually pushing the limits of of comfort. And I just – I haven't seen – Anyone who, for whom, you know, that growth just happens within their bubble, almost the nature of it is outside of it. So I think there's a lot of us who just get comfortable with that and others who just want to stay in our own circle. And a lot of those, those, most of the limitations or fears that we have are put on us by society or ourselves as a result of society, like they're not, they're not real. They're just narratives that we tell ourselves to justify feeling safe and not pushing and kind of staying, staying where we are.
0: Yeah. And one of the, my favorite quotes was at the very end of the book, uh, the conclusion actually, and you write often our purpose in life comes from a point of pain, but many of us don't make the connection even when it's staring us right in the face. So of course I had to go back in time and think about that. And that's when I realized that Bob Glazer was making me do something I hate doing, which is think, yeah, yeah is thinking so uh
1: damn hey, look and thinking to those you know formative teenage year I I, I I have I will argue my anecdotal non quantifiable evidence is that about eighty percent of the purpose that I've seen in people comes from a place of pain yes uh, and, and Sometimes it's super obvious; it's right in front of them. So, there, I had a story last year. I was sitting down, catching up with a uh, kind of business colleague at a conference, and we're, we're 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 having dinner, we're having a drink with some people, and, and and she was talking about how her husband says that she's the the kiss of death for for a relationship. And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" She wait, said, wait, "Well, her
0: husband is the
1: kiss of death." No, no, no. She said her husband for other relations. As soon as she says to her husband, I sense that something is wrong with that couple. They are broken up. Like. Four weeks later. And so oh, her wow. husband says to her, like, you're kind of the kiss of death. As soon as you say something, they sort of break up. And and so, look, I've, I've had these discussions, like, a lot of times. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little pushy. I always give people the out, but I'm intellectually curious about this because I've written about this, studied it, seen the pattern. And so I said to her, well, well let me – I have a question for you. Um, You know what? And and so she thinks she's like a curse on relationships. I said, well, tell me like what, what was the story with your own parents? You're like, and she's like, well, my dad just sort of up and left on my mom and sort of kind of stunned and shattered our family. Mm. And, and I said to her, so (laughs) has has it ever occurred to you that maybe you're not the curse of death? Maybe you like really like, are intuitive into the signs that sort of preempt a relationship kind of being yes. blindsided and and she looked at me with this like vulnerable look and like and had never made this connection i was like really you never you never thought about it? no because people don't go to these places you know with themselves like mm-hmm. if you've ever gotten into the dis- in- introspection stuff like it you know it gets a little uncomfortable I, and, and I was, I, I was. It, it, it shouldn't shock me because, I, I, again, I've had enough of these conversations. But I was like, I, I don't know how you don't see it. <laughs> like, those. Those, you know, those dots were right there, and they just didn't, they just didn't connect.
0: Yes, yeah, staring us right in the face. So let's go to spiritual capacity. Now, you already mentioned that the, the term spiritual is often uh, put in a religious context, but it means something different in the context of the, the capacity building. Yeah. And. To what you just said, I want you to explain what you mean more But what you say that one of the scariest things about building spiritual capacity is it removes any excuses.
1: Yeah, once once you know who you are and what you want, uh, clearly um, you start to run out of excuses. So most people cannot articulate their core values, but I would argue they're driving most of the key behaviors in their life when they get into these situations I, I, the analogy I like to use, you're driving a car in a tunnel. It's nice. It's a Lamborghini. It's pitch black. You will hit a side of a tunnel, scratch the car. You'll pull off. You'll hit the other wall. You'll pull off. You'll get out of the tunnel, but your car is going to be pretty beat up. Right. And that's, I think how most of us navigate life is that we hit a core value violation and we know it's crossed and we sort of move to the, try to move to the center and then we hit another one. And, and if you can actually articulate your core values, because I think they've been true for most of us since we were young, since mm-hmm. those formative experiences in years, and years, and you have them on your desk or you have them in front of you, you you, you can turn on the lights, paint the lanes, and, and keep the car you know where it should go, and you'll get through the tunnel, the I mean, tunnel of life, I guess, faster and and, and without uh, incident. Um, and it just, I I I think it's the you know in terms of. Thinking about decisions and how you spend your time, and the the big three, which is you know your vocation, where you choose to live, and your kind of key relationship or partner, like those. If those aren't core value aligned decisions, then then they're not going to work. So I, to me, your personal core values, and I have some tips in, in in the Elevate book, and I'm actually coming out with a course in January on this because so many this is the thing people ask me about the most, like how do I figure out my core values? It it it's it's a discovery process because they're there. It's kind of like giving you the instruction manual to you saying, Douglas, like do these things and don't do these things. Cause these, this is hardwired for you into good and bad.
0: Yeah. It's staring right at you, just like your friend who, who, who didn't see it. Yeah. So this clarity lies within us and maybe we do need some help bringing it out. And that's where, you know, something like your course could help, but you say that many of us still don't actually want it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that came from, Discussion with a friend of mine, Philip McKernan, and and who's a sort of incredible coach, Clarity. He gets down right to the issue. Usually, people talk to him for. I did a podcast with him, sixty seconds, and they are in tears because he just gets the issue. But he says he he has this great quote. He says, "I think I use in the book. People fly all around the world and pay tens of thousand of dollars to meet with him. You know, for the clarity that they don't really want. Like mm. they know they're in the wrong relationship. They know they are in a." career that they don't enjoy and doesn't make them happy. They know these things. They're just not willing to look in the mirror and have the discussion. And sometimes when you put a label on these things, it becomes really clear to where you can't hide from yourself that you are living pretty incongruously with who you are and what you want.
0: Yes. And there's another one of many things in the book that got me thinking about Well, it got me thinking differently. I was wondering if you could talk about the power of thinking about one's legacy, meaning like uh, 100 years from now, say.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a great exercise, right? If you think about how do you want to be remembered, what did you want the impact on people's, what did you want the impact of your life to be on others? It starts really narrowing down around who you are and what you want. So if, if anyone's ever asked you to do an exercise, you've done this thing like, write your obituary, what do you want people to say about your funeral? you will f- at you at your funeral what you want them to say about your funeral hopefully that was good um the, but but the food was the food was good yeah, yeah. um I, I did that exercise several years before i did my core values and I went back and looked down at what i wrote the the answers that what i came in the the raw emotional answers to that question contained a lot of the verbiage from my core values because it gets to the essence of who you are and how you want to be remembered
0: yeah well on the other hand, explain what a deferred life plan is. I'd never heard that expression and and, and why a deferred life plan is uh, probably not helpful and illusory.
1: Yeah, I think I first heard that from Tim Ferriss. Uh, and, and when you think about sort of the past generation, maybe before Gen X, it was kind of like you worked until you were 70, you saved money, and then you were going to enjoy life and have retirement. And like, it sounds great unless you die at 50 or (laughs) something else happens in the middle. So, so rather than deferring all the gratification towards the end, which, which there's more risk, how do you start to have an integrative life and, and, you know, do things that make you happy and take trips and not, you know, not throw out, you know, the first three quarters of your life for, for the last quarter. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think Tim Ferriss used that, uh, term in the four hour work week and it always, made an impact on me on uh, how, you know, how to, how do you start, you know, how do you work and live now rather than, you know, how do you do them simultaneously rather than sequentially?
0: Right. And you talk about this, uh, this work-life balance issue in the book as well.
1: Yeah, so I don't believe in the term work-life balance. Uh, I, I, I use we use the term work-life integration, and and it's not just semantics. Um, because I think when people are hoping for balance, they're, they're it's something that they'll never achieve. Like it'll never be in balance. Like I'm not going to sit here doing a podcast with you, juggling my toddler on my lap, and be like, "Oh, I had a perfect like balance day." You no, know, what, <laughs> what I want is to like pay attention to the podcast and have a great podcast with you, and then I want to go have time with my son afterwards in quality time and and those things won't be in balance like what i'm actually trying to do is have a collection of quality experiences that that find a way to work with each other but but if my if i'm thinking that every day or week will be balanced then i'm just going to disappoint myself in some aspect of my life
0: yes uh, unrealistic uh, expectation one other thing that came up in the amongst many in the spiritual capacity is something that I learned a long time ago, but I think it's worth repeating for the listener, and that is explain what you mean when you say that regret in life really is rarely about what we do. (laughs) It's about what we don't do or should have done or didn't do. Yeah.
1: There there are all these uh, studies about hospice nurses and all the stuff and 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 they've they've they riled up the list and you know it's always i didn't ask that girl out i didn't go for the dream job i didn't you know do this it's it, it's really never the things that people did it, it it's kind of you know it's better to have loved and lost and never loved at all i think i think that what people didn't do is what keeps them up at night and regret the thing that they did and didn't work out like they failed and they moved on right and they kind of like they closed that chapter it's it, it's all those what ifs that kind of haunt people and uh, i i have just seen that time and time again i have i've rarely regretted things that i've done because if i do it and it's a mess and it doesn't work out like at least i learned something from it move on or at least i closed the chapter and i'm like look i'm not meant to be a juggler like i i you know <laughs> i learned that from trying to be a juggler versus sitting there on my deathbed being like what if i What if I had juggled? Like, could I have been a juggler? Um, So, so yeah, I I, I think that is if if I've and and, you know, there's a story in there about a trip I took with my son that kind of came out of that insight. And I to the Super Bowl, yeah, to the Super Bowl, and I I don't, I don't really remember anything where I was regretful that I that I did it because it's all known. It's known at that point. It's not unknown.
0: Yeah, so true. Well, let's talk. uh, Let's go on to intellectual capacity. And you write that intellectual capacity is about getting just a little better each day. To,
1: to me, this is your like personal operating system. Like yeah. how, when you think about like if I if you up, buy a new computer and you buy a better processor, it can run the same program or the software gets upgraded, runs things faster and with less energy. So intellectual capacity is not how do you spin the hamster wheel more. It's how do you how do you upgrade your processor, your learning, your habits, or otherwise, so you're getting more outcomes out of the same or, or, or fewer hours. And, and this is just the growth mindset. You know, This is the people listening to this podcast right now who are saying, hey, maybe I can take away one thing today that makes me uh, better tomorrow. So to me, it's, these kind of go in order because spiritual, okay, what do I want? And then intellectual starts the, how do I get it? And, and, and what do I need to get better at and more efficient at to get what it is that I want?
0: Well, by listening to the marketing book podcast, I would argue, and I would hope that in the second edition of your book uh, that you, you might mention that. You know, just think about it, Bob. Made a note. Made a note. <laughs> so noted. Yes. All right. Let's move on. What is the myth of overnight success, and why does it grind Bob Glazer's gears? I don't know that
1: it grabs my gears, but I I, look, I've seen myself. Oh, come
0: on. You you tore it to pieces in this book.
1: Well, well, yeah, right. So the premise does rather than bother me personally, although I think we all seem to be
0: fine and very well adjusted. Yeah.
1: There's a little bit of an excuse. But so the myth of the overnight sex anyone who's an entrepreneur would understand this is, you know, we tend to look at other people's success and Subscribe it to luck or timing, and we tend to look at our own stuff and ascribe it to to hard work. and And there are a lot of these stories and fables. And I give some examples where you hear, "Oh, this company overnight success," and then you actually you listen to how you know uh, how I built this, and, and and you hear, and you're like, "Wow, that thing was almost out of business like four times." Like the, you know, the guy was living with his mom, and he was bankrupt and borrowing. Like the story of the sort of overnight success is almost never true. And I, I just think it it, it helps give us an excuse yes. that, 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 you know, oh, that person was just lucky. They just had the right timing, like and, and rather than actually acknowledge the the work. And that's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to how, how I built this. And one of the reasons is you hear those stories, you hear the, like, you know, at that Peloton guy was, I mean, just, you know, trow, in, trow on the bottom and only would go out to dinner with his wife if she was going to talk about whose house they were going to live in when Peloton went bankrupt and whose parents basement they were going to live in. Nice. You, know, it, you hear the real sort of stuff that went on behind the scenes that really demystifies the, the myth of the overnight success. So there've been so many times where I've heard a story about this company that just came out of nowhere and went public. And then you, you meet the founder, you're at an event, you hear the story, the real story, and it's, it's totally different.
0: Yes. I remember seeing a, a video Chris Brogan did years ago. I'll see if I can find it included in your show notes where he was just furious about overnight success. And he says, look, it's 5 a.m. I'm recording this video of me getting on the elevator to go catch another flight. I've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that was a great one. Well, let me, I got a quote from uh, page 58 and then ask you to explain what the heck you're talking about. You right. for many of us, the first few weeks of the year are focused on goal creation and to-do lists for the developing year. While those are certainly important, I'd encourage you to add one more thing to your agenda that will likely contribute the most to your success this year, a stop doing list. Bob Glazer, what in the world are you talking about?
1: We have more things we want to do. We pile it on. But if we understand the 80-20 rule, it would say that always 20% of our inputs lead to 80% of our outcomes. So the notion of what can I stop doing? We know we've had this discussion in our company around marketing people always, there's always three new programs they want to do. Okay, great. <laughs> which, which of the five, so let's cut five of our current ones. Like let's, if let's make a guess about which ones we don't think are adding value, because if we're going to try something new, what is it that we're going to stop doing? And and sometimes I actually think that, yeah, the stop doing or the narrowing down and, and the sort of getting to fewer priorities is actually what people need rather than the more things on their list.
0: So true. It's so liberating, and it really does get you to think about everything else. If you can just figure out why you shouldn't be still be doing something, of course you have to work in a place like like maybe your firm where (laughs) management understands. Well, this is personal. I mean,
1: there's inertia. Like we just don't want to stop something that we're doing. But like, let's say I went to this conference for three years, and I was like, I think it's going to pay off, but I don't have the results. But now I have this really great new opportunity out there, like. Is it really harm in skipping that conference the fourth year if I don't have an ROI yet on it? Like, I, we're so afraid to give that conference up, <laughs> right. even yeah. though we have no leads from it. I, there's just something about, you know, inertia of if something's going, we don't want to stop it.
0: Yes, and I think that the year twenty twenty, there was a totally. lot of this forced on us. Of why were we doing that all those? There's
1: years? There's so much stuff we are not going back to in our business because <laughs> we are like, oh, we don't need to go to that conference. Like clearly, you know, it, yeah, I mean, it forced, it was like a forced elimination diet, and you can see what you need.
0: Yeah. So there's a one of the chapters called life hack. And I know you didn't intend this, but I was laughing out loud. And I just want to quote from this and ask you to elaborate. You're right. These days, everyone seems to be looking for a shortcut or a hack. Apparently things like growth hacking, social media hacking, bio hacking, and so on are all the rage. It appears everyone wants to find that magical shortcut that will lead them to getting more output with less effort. Recently, I came across a great post about useful hacks by Morgan Housel, a partner at Collaborative Fund. He wrote about attending a three-hour session with a social media consultant who walked attendees through a slew of social media-related hacks. However, although she talked about things like when to post and why to create hashtags, Housel noted that the trainer never actually talked about the most important component, creating good content to post. (laughs) (laughs) Talk more about this because you've actually included some uh, very helpful and hilarious hacks.
1: Yeah, those those, those were all Morse's. I just pulled his list. It was very funny, <laughs> but yeah, you you have a couple of them there. Like yeah, like they're, um, they're, they're not mine. So I'll give okay, them okay, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's uh
0: here. Okay, so you've got these lists. Here's a marketing hack. Okay, listener, are you are you listening? Make a good product that people need. <laughs> yeah. here, here's the PR hack do something newsworthy <laughs> hey, oh a writing hack this and this is tied into uh, overnight success write every day for years <laughs> and it goes it goes on and on let me see there's another one um so here's a savings hack lower your ego and live below your means oh, it just goes it goes on and on oh oh here's one i love particularly because you know everyone talks about scaling yeah growth hacking this is called the scale to a million users hack you ready? Make a product a million people need. (laughs) I just thought that was good. And I think there's a certain fatigue out there, unrelated to the inspiration we're talking about in the book here, of of people are selling a lot of uh, easy buttons or silver bullets or magic potions. But in their defense, a lot of people are buying them. They're looking for that thing, just like we talked about earlier.
1: Yeah, I mean look at COVID right now. We know how to stop it, but no one wants to do what they need to do. Like it's like what's the what's the shortcut? Like it's not a surprise anymore. So you know, we live in an instant gratification world. And I think going back to something I said before, I think there's a difference between understanding the 80 20 and honing in on that and saying, if I'm gonna put 80 hours into it, I might as well put 80 hours into the 20% that gets me the 80% output Mm -hmm. versus saying like how do I get the 80% output with two hours of effort? Like that, that right, that's, the, that's where hacking I, I I think that I, there's some good and some bad of hacking. Getting to the core of what you should do and the things that have the most outcome, if that's a hack, that's great. If you're trying to get great outcomes with minimal efforts, I, I think that's a bit of a, a non sequitur.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen it work yet, but if it does work, uh, Bob, please, please let me know. You have my email address. So let's go on to uh, the physical capacity. And again, I want to quote. You're right. In 2009, I was burning the candle at both ends and had a massive panic attack. At the time, I was certain I was having a heart attack and that I was taking my last few breaths. I collapsed to the floor in my kitchen after calling 911 and was loaded into an ambulance by paramedics. After two days of testing, I realized I dodged a bullet. I was perfectly healthy. My symptoms were incited by stress and a magnesium deficiency. What did you learn?
1: Huh. Yeah, I learned that a lot of people don't 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 get a warning shot. Um, you know, the, the the first time it happens is the real thing, and that you know a lot of that is self induced. So one of the things that I've come to understand, and through a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Heidi Hanna, who's kind of an expert on stress, is that uh, you know, stress is self-induced. It's, 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 it, there's this biological flight or flight, fight or flight mechanism that we have that was meant to kick in when we were, you know, to escape a lion or we were in physical danger and, you know, our heart starts racing and our system fills with cortisol and adrenaline. And like, there's some biological reasons for that. And we, we, that system now is, is, is working all the time for, for not, physical stress but mental stress or Mm -hmm. or things that we're we're doing to ourselves are causing that system to activate and it's just not you know it's not designed to pull the fire alarm like eight times a day (laughs) like that's not (laughs) that's not how our our body was done so you know it's making us really uh physically um sick and and yeah so that you know I, i i got back into yoga after that i started running and realizing that you know you could really i mean you could really you can do this to yourself. Um, just, just by kind of losing perspective. And again, what I mean, there was a lot going on at the time for me, but, but, uh, you know, stress, as I say, I think in that book or in Elevate, I mean, you can have someone stressed because they can't find food that day. You can have someone stressed because they have a presentation. You have someone stressed because they're, you know, coordinating their four multi, multi million dollar homes and they could all be having the same biological reaction, but those are all very different circumstances.
0: Yes. And there was a book on the show recently called Unleash Your Primal Brain by Tim Ash. Yeah. And you may know him. He, but he, in the book, he ta- it was, the book was about the evolution of the brain. And of course, it wasn't a marketing or sales book, but every chapter was relevant to marketing and sales about why people do the things that they do. And in the book, he talked about what goes on in your brain when you sleep. And I have so much more reverence. I mean, I always got slept pretty well. But it's really, really important. I had no idea what people are doing to their brains by not getting proper rest. so yeah,
1: yeah the, the the good news on that is I think we have moved from so ten years ago and the sort of Marissa Meyer, you know promoting her one hundred and forty hour work weeks. I think the CEO ten years ago was promoting the fact that they did not sleep. Uh, and, and and I think that narrative has changed. You see a lot of people coming out and talking about the eight hours and how important it is and people making sort of a, a, a priority around that. So I do think that that is something that has improved a little bit as you have, you know, leaders out there and people saying, look, eight hours is important, like not not because it's an incentive thing. If you celebrate not sleeping, then that becomes a badge of
0: honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can remember years ago, my, my dad used to brag about how little sleep he needed. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I don't hear pe- people say that. So let's, let's, uh, let's wrap up with emotional capacity. Explain what you mean when you write that a common mistake people make is assuming emotional characteristics are a fixed part of their personality.
1: Yeah, I think you know, like like any of these capacities, um, it can be worked on. You can you can work on your relationships. You can work on your reaction to things. Uh, I think a lot of times we misassociate something that we initial stimuli that we don't control with what we do control. And twenty twenty is a perfect example of that, right? None of us controlled the fact that a global pandemic hit us but people have reacted very differently right some people have crawled into holes and you know acted scared and said oh you know this happened to me you know what was me or my business and other people have pivoted their business and tried new models and helped others and 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 so you know these are these are things that we can control these are things that we can get better at we can be conscious about the people we spend our time with you know if you're if you're uh, you know Jim Romo I said you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with right mm-hmm. so if you're if you're with a group of ne- you know Nancy negative people all day long there's no way you're not going to take on that on that mindset
0: yeah well speaking of negative nancys apologies to any of the nice people listening named Nancy yeah what is an energy vampire
1: yeah it's one of my favorites so an energy vampire is someone and for a lot of people unfortunately these can be good friends and even family. Yeah. But an energy vampire is someone who you, spe- you feel worse after spending time with them. Um, mm-hmm. So, you you, you you know, versus think about someone you get together and you feel great. You actually feel worse. They pull energy. You know, if you have only a bucket of energy, like they, they take it. They're net energy takers from you. Oh, yeah. And a lot of us keep going back to those wells. Um, you know, they say, oh, let's get together next week. Well, you didn't mean that. Like, so don't. Don't offer it, and and one of the biggest advices, uh, best advice I got from uh, a gentleman Don DePande, who's in the book, I've had on the podcast, just an incredible kind of guy. He he uh, he was a a, a a monk, a Buddhist monk, and a and a, and a Hindu priest. So interesting combination. Hmm. For, for, but he what he says, like, look, I just you know if people, I don't ask people how they are, if they always respond in, in a negative way. And I don't say we should get together if I don't want to get together. And what he said is like, look, you don't need to have blow ups or breakups with these people. You just need to figure out how to slowly stop giving them your energy. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's the problem, right? Some of us don't want to you know, we don't want to break up with a mother-in-law because we can't, or the you know cousin of the. But but you can stop giving that person your energy. You can stop engaging. You can pull you know back. You can not say let. Why don't we have dinner on Sunday if you don't mean it? Like the, there are yeah. things you can do to start getting yourself away from those energies that are th- those relationships that are energy draining.
0: You can dial it down a lot, and I think yeah. it's more than people realize. But probably the most important thing is to be conscious of people who are uh, energy vampires. How many times
1: do you catch up with that old friend from school that you have lunch, you don't want to even be having it, and then you say, we should do this again?
0: (laughs) You you mean the one I blocked (laughs) on Facebook and disconnected from (laughs) because he was so irritating? Yeah.
1: And you don't mean it. and Yeah. So there's probably someone that you'd like to have dinner with four times a week because it is so much fun when you have dinner with them, and it's positive. But if you spend you know 12 of those lunches uh, every quarter catching up with those old friends that you don't want to catching up with that's that's 12 lunches that you can't hang out with the people who are actually you know go, part of your future and where you want to go
0: well uh, one last question remind us what self-limiting beliefs are and, and 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 the role they play in improving our our emotional capacity
1: yeah. Self-limiting beliefs probably didn't start as self-limiting beliefs. They probably started as things that were said to us by yeah. teachers or authority figures. And then, you know, Oh, you're not smart enough. You can't do this. And, and they were probably external things that, then just become narratives in our head around, Oh, I can't, I, I can't run a marathon. I, I can't write a book. I can't do that. Or, you know, just yeah, I'm not that, a writer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a writer. That, uh, or I'll, I'll never be a whatever X or Y. Mm-hmm. A- and, and those are, just like the overnight success, those are just stories. Those are stories we tell ourselves. They keep us warm and comfortable at night and safe, but but with, they don't keep us, you know, achieving what it is that we actually could achieve. They just they're ways of telling us that we don't have to push and we're fine and you know, the thing you know, we don't we don't really want the things that that we want because, you know, we're not we're not capable of them.
0: So, what can people do to start to address them? How, how does someone identify what their self-limiting beliefs are? I guess obviously they have to want to find that.
1: Yeah. So, so take one of these things. You know. So, so we'll we'll see. Douglas, tell me, tell me something you don't think you can do.
0: Uh, play in the NFL? No, I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, I know. I might, be, might be late on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something I can't do. I don't know. Um, so if,
1: I, if I said to you, uh, I, I grow, grow an
0: agency with forty people working for me. There you go, right. something like okay. that. Um,
1: well, yeah. So, so one well, of the things—I'm not
0: sure I want to. So maybe that's not an example. Want to. <laughs> all right, well,
1: we, we won't use. So w- one of the things, like, let's take a book. A lot of people say I can never write a book, and
0: okay, so, yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah.
1: So one of the things you say, well, why can't you write a book? And you'd say, well, uh, and this is a good thing. You just put all the objections up. Why couldn't you write a book? What are the common things? I don't have the time. Okay. Let's, let's put that up there. I
0: don't, I don't think it would be good enough.
1: I don't think it'd be good enough. I don't know what I would want to write about. And, you know, uh, there's probably like, there's probably a, a few, a few more, like, I, I I don't know how to edit. Like I wouldn't be good at it. So, so you just take these one by one and, and you sort of challenge those assumptions. So I don't know what about, well, like, what if we brainstormed, you know, four or five ideas, you know, wrote them down, uh, sent them to some friends, got some feedback. Could we do that? Yeah, we could do that. Okay, well, then then now we're starting to tackle the idea thing. I don't have the time. Well, let's look at our schedule. We spend a half hour on Instagram a day looking at what people are eating. <laughs> like, we... You know we're on TikTok, like so. It's not that we don't have the time, it's just that you know we're giving the time to other things that, frankly, we would not identify as important. Because if I said I've always wanted to write a book, so we say, Okay, well, how about you know, how about we write 500 words a day? Like, can uh-huh. we do that? That's that's about a half hour. That like, sounds like a writing
0: a hack to me, Mr. Glazer.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except you got to do it every day, I know it's a <laughs> hack. It's a and and, and 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 so now we now we break down the you know that will do that, and then the, will anyone like it? We say, well, like well, let's let's suspend judgment on that. Like <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll ask we'll, we'll we'll come up with the topics. We'll do the thing. We'll put it together. We'll look what we have. Um, you know, we can oh we can hire an editor, so I don't have to worry about the editing. So right, so so suddenly you start running out of excuses when you pick apart that you know this this monolithic thing of writing this book is not is not like this. Uh, uh, you know, the, I would say the things that are mountains, we tend to like just go to our checklist and check off the stuff. And the, the thing that's the big mountain in the distance stays the mountain in the distance because we just don't even take the first step or the second step. So mm-hmm. then it always looks as big and as far. And when you actually start to break down, this is how I wrote my first book. I had the same excuse. And then I was at an event with a, where we made commitments from year to year. I was annoyed that I hadn't written it. And I said, I'm going to write a book by the time we meet next year. That's why I wrote performance partnerships. I literally, the only difference was I went from saying, I'd love to write a book, I'd love to, I'm going to write a book. Suddenly, all my energy was, how am I going to write the book? So I started interviewing companies that, you know, were co writing. I started asking people. I found the right one to help me. Like it just, it was really as hard and as simple as that of saying, like, all right, I'm done saying this. Like now <laughs> I'm going to actually just focus on what it would take to write the book.
0: That's interesting. I remember when I s- quit my. You know, in lieu of a midlife crisis, I gave up a very secure job at a <laughs> at an agency yeah. and started my own. But I remember what was so terrifying. That sounds like
1: a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that was in <laughs> Uh
0: Well, yeah, no. But then I finally decided, all right, I'm going to go do it. And I went in and you know announced that I was leaving and and at that point, it everything became so much easier. the The fear was what was so hard. I, when I finally went in and did it, everything cleared up. I just got yeah. started, so yeah, that was uh, that was that was interesting. So, Bob, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
1: I, I hope it would be that like it's really just little things. Like if one of these stories inspires them, or otherwise, it's just it's. There are little things they can do to start making changes, moving in the right direction. I think the more we commit to these New Year's resolutions and wholesale changes to our life, the less likely it is to happen. I'd much more bet on the person who said, you know, I'm going to start, you know, writing 10 minutes a day, you know, than than said they were going to have some whole transformation because, (laughs) uh, you know, this is why the gym parking lots and other years are normally, you know, empty by the, you know, January 17th and you can't get them uh, in, 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 in before that. Um, so yeah, I, I, this is, there's a lot of stuff here, but you start, you read one of these stories, you just start on, on one or two of these things a little bit and it's not overnight, but 30, 60, 90 days, you'll, you'll see some differences.
0: Yeah. And in that book, I think you reminded us of, I can't remember which book it was, but it takes 21 days to make a habit.
1: Habit. Yeah. About. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to uh, reading or seeing come out?
1: Uh, I've got another book coming out. Um, I, I actually wrote an ebook during um, uh, all of We've been remote for our whole existence, fourteen years, hundred and seventy people now. Uh, so, wrote a book on uh, how to how to manage virtual teams.
0: Oh, uh, an yeah, e-book. I saw that.
1: And and I actually ended up like turning that into a full length uh, book. Kind of tripled it. And did the whole interviews with CEOs and leaders. It's actually going to come out first in in Europe. Uh, under uh, How to Thrive with Virtual Work um, uh, with Macmillan in January. So uh, I'm excited about that because I think there are a lot of companies. Now it moved from the, and what the book address, moved from the like, how do you survive and pivot to like, what am I going to do after? Like, are we going back to this? Are we not going back to this? What's my strategy? I think almost every company and leader like needs to kind of figure that out now.
0: Yeah, well, it, it seems like, Something that's just going to stay with us to varying degrees, uh, this this virtual uh, workplace. So the book is How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace, Simple and Effective Tips for Successful, Productive, and Empowered Remote Work. And that's coming out in – that's interesting. It's coming out in Europe first.
1: Yeah. It's coming out in Europe first, yeah.
0: Oh, it's coming in January 21st? Yep. That's my son's birthday. So it's all coming – together a
1: team after that yeah it's all connected <laughs> that's, right, that's <laughs> right
0: well listen at uh, marketingbookpodcast.com we'll include links to everything linkable your agency site your site your linkedin profile and all that sort of thing and i hope that listeners will message bob and and let him know that you know we appreciate him you know, spending some time with us here and for you dear listener if you are listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the marketing book podcast on your favorite podcast app All these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Friday Forward, Inspiration and Motivation to End Your Week Stronger Than It Started. The author is Robert Glazer. Bob, happy new year and thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.